that this morning, um, I'm not going to 1 Peter once again. As y'all know, I've been going through 1 Peter. Um, I'm going to take another detour again. Uh, last week, we went to, uh, we looked at three parables. Um, this week, we're going to look at uh, evangelism. But we're going to not uh, think about it in, in the way that we usually think about it. We usually think about, what, door-to-door, you know, uh, knocking, sharing the gospel, cold evangelism, uh, just walking up to t- people. Uh, we're going to look at it differently. And, um, and the way we're going to look at it, we're going to look at how the first century did it. First century church did it, which is probably a good way, right? Uh, let's look biblically what evangelism looks like on, on, on a daily basis. And, and so I, I'm, I'm super encouraged. I'm, I'm, anytime we get a chance to kind of look at a historical narrative like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those are all historical natter- narratives that even non-believers in our society, they look back to kind of look at the first century. Uh, they don't, you know, this is not just for Christians, but for non-believers, when they want to look at history, you want to look at, you know, whether it be a, a emperor or somebody who was in, in charge or any kind of r- religious sect that was going on in that time. Uh, our Bible is actually has historical narratives in it that we can go back and look at. And guess what? As believers, we get to say, man, where did Pillar Church come from? Where did it originate? Well, that's what we get to do today. We get to look at um, the, the building uh, of, of God's church. Uh, Jesus was the first church planner, if you didn't know. Um, he, he took 12 ordinary men and he discipled them and prepared them to build his church. And so uh, this is not originated uh, with Acts 29 or any of these other church planting networks that you've heard of. This is original uh, with, with Jesus. And so that's what we'll be looking at. And so go ahead and turn to Acts uh, chapter 4. And then as you're doing that, I'm going to uh, just pray. Pray for us. God, um, honestly, there's just, I feel like there's a weightiness in, in today's sermon for me. Um. I, I don't want to carry that weight, honestly, God. And I shouldn't be carrying that weight because I should be reliant on the Spirit. And, and I want to be right now, God. I want to be reliant on your Spirit and your power to communicate your word, your truth. And so, God, I want to just surrender right now to your Spirit. Would you just teach us? Would you teach me? I'll be preaching, I'll be saying the words, but would you teach me while I'm preaching? Would you teach us as a, as a body of believers? And even for those who, who are not believers that, I, that are here today, I pray that you, would, would you open eyes today? Would you communicate clearly the gospel? Not, not what I want it to be or what I think it may be, but what the gospel is, what it looks like in our lives as we walk out on a daily basis. Now, would you do that? Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Super intimidating when you think about evangelism, usually because it, if for some of us who are not just uh, extroverts and, and are easy uh, to go up to walk up to a stranger or even just have many friends uh for, for us uh, who are introverts who that we sometimes think okay that that spiritual gift is for eric or pastor canaan or that is a a role for somebody else and and that the reason that we can't categorize evangelism like that uh, because we all should be evangelists. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. All of this is from, is from God through Christ, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, Pillar Church, we all are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, you know, some of us say, I, I have the, the spiritual gift of mercy. So, you know, that's Pastor Eric with the spiritual gift of evangelism. I'll let him do the evangelism. I'll be merciful. That is really a silly thing. You know, can, can you imagine me saying, you know what, I'm going to leave the mercy thing to y'all, and then I'll just do the evangelism. Uh, just a silly concept that we kind of come up with on our own. Uh, even in the church, we, we, we say, you know what, uh, you know, other people have the gift of, of grace or whatever it may be, but that's not me. Guys, we are all evangelists. We're all called to uh, share our faith, uh, whatever that looks like. We're all called to walk in obedience, to, to, to communicate what God has done in our own hearts, um, he is making, the Bible says that he is making his appeal through us. We are new creations. But let, there's good news in all of this for you introverts, like me. I'm, I'm actually an introvert. Uh, there, there's good news for us who are not well-spoken and they stutter and clamor over their words, it, who, who, who struggle uh, remembering maybe Bible verses and, and different things that maybe help. Maybe the Romans row, you can't remember what, is it, is it Romans 3.23 or is it 3.6, what is it, you know? And so, so here, here's the relief for you. Um, it's a relief, but also it, it, it kind of holds a little weight also. The relief is, is that you do not have to be that person. You do not have to be Peter in the Bible who likes to talk, right? In, in fact, uh, just because a person is well-versed in Scripture or, 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 or a good communicator, that doesn't mean that they're evangelists. Just think, if we, if we say, hey, Peter, great communicator, that's the reason he's the leader of the, of the first century church. This is a man that denied Jesus three times, and he did it well-spoken. He was really well-spoken. He says, no, I don't know that man. He said that three times. And so for this idea that boldness, bold evangelism is, is for those who are really outgoing and really good at talking to people, that is not the concept. That is not what, what Christianity teaches us in uh, the first century church. Um, so he, here's the weighty part of it, the weighty part of it. Evangelism, being a person who is bold in evangelism, is simply being obedient to God, being obedient to the next thing that he has told you and me to do. The next moment, the next day, the next experience, that's bold evangelism. And, and we're going to see that. And, and here, here, here's part of what happens when we are obedient to Christ. If we're Christ followers, 2 Timothy 3.12 in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why am I mixing persecution and evangelism? Those two things cannot be like, you can't separate those things. People hate Jesus. They hate the name Jesus. They hate the thought of, of, of Jesus and this, this idea of a one way to, to salvation. I mean, that is intimidating in itself. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Anyone who, who, who is obedient in communicating who they are in Christ will be persecuted. If we talk about Christ, if we, if we tell people, if we respond to people on on, on, on really who we are and why we are who we are, they hear that name Jesus. You will be persecuted because they do not like Jesus. You can talk about God, you can talk about spirituality, but you cannot talk about Jesus. And you're going to see that in, in, in Acts. 
I, I define bold evangelism like this. When the imminent threat of persecution is close, you continue your course to boldly proclaim who Jesus is and what he did. Or you stay the course to proclaim Christ even though you will suffer for it. Why? Because that next moment he has called you to do this or that. You're submitted to doing that last thing that he told you to do. That may be uh, an act of kindness or an act of obedience to somebody or, or something. But it may just be telling people why you did what you did or why you are who you are. I'm going to go back to the, what we're reading. We're, we're reading historical narratives. And the, re, and the reason I want to say that I, I want us to make sure we're reading this as historical facts. These things actually happen. So when you hear about Jesus walking on, a, on, on water, there was water, and he was literally walking on it. When you hear about the, the stoning of, of Stephen, you gotta, you got to put yourself there and realize that this is a real man that is suffering and almost and, 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 and dying. And there's people who, who his friends around crying and, 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 and hurting for, for him in those moments. If we allegorize every single thing in the Bible, like, you know, the walking of the water, or sermonize it to make sure it sounds good in our sermons, we miss that moment. We, we miss the reality of, of that suffering or that situation, and, and we miss what God was trying to teach us. Can you, can you imagine doing that to uh, the, the crucifixion of Christ? If we allegorize that, and, 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 we, and we didn't actually think that was the real event in real time that ha happened and people witnessed and saw it. And that's why the, the, the description of Jesus' death is so vivid. It's almost like, hey, there was cameras there. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, somebody who wrote this down for us to, to be there, to kind of see what happened. And that's what we're asking. Amen, Samuel. Amen. So leading up to uh, Acts 4, we, we, we see uh, John and Peter. They're about to be arrested. But let me tell you why they got arrested. They got arrested because they were going at the, at, in the evening prayer. Him and uh, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. And as they, y'all have heard this story, I know, but... As they were going to pray, they saw a lame man that was at the, at the door or, or right as where they needed to enter. And the guy asked him for alms. He asked him for money. And Peter said, I don't have any money, but what I have, no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. He took his hand. He said, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And his ankles and his legs were made strong in that moment. So we see a miracle that happened. And in, that, in, that, in chapter 3, it says that he went leaping and dancing and praising God. And in the corner, if you can imagine them, and this is why I'm talking about historical night, this has really happened. You can imagine the, 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 the security of that temple. They're watching seeing these things happen. And the Sadducees are watching these things happen from afar. And they're watching how the, this man is healed and, and people around there see this healing and they're shocked and they're amazed. And they want to know more about how did this happen? And Peter and John, when, when, when the people came and they were so amazed, what did Peter and John say? He said, why are you so amazed at what just happened as if our piety, our goodness, healed this man, as if I did it. Why, why, are you, why are you looking at us as if we're the ones who did this? He says, you know that guy you crucified that you said 
you said, hey, I'll, I'll release the murderer and, and nail Jesus to the cross. That's who healed him. That's who resurrected. The one who was resurrected is the one who healed him. So he's taking the focus off of himself and he's pointing it to Jesus. And who's looking? The religious leaders, the Sadducees, the captain of the temple are seeing all this happen. Let me tell you who, who the Sadducees are. Sadducees are the one who don't believe in any miracles. They were the religious people that says, Moses, and that's it. The five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Hey, this is it. Obey, 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 and then we'll find God. Resurrection? There's no resurrection. There's no miracles. If I can't tangibly communicate, if I can't communicate how it happened, it didn't happen. That's the Sadducees. I was reading a commentary. Sadducees were the people that, that, that nobody liked. And even amongst themselves, they didn't even like each other. They were just those people. They were just those people that just, they were, they were about the law. And so they, they're witnessing this happen. They're witnessing this miracle that goes against everything they've built their life on. And, and they've built what? Their, their finances on, fattening their pockets. Everything they've built on, their teaching, everything they're well known for and their prestige around what? There is no miracles. There's no resurrection. And at this moment, this guy, Peter and John, these guys, Peter and John, are, 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 are making them discredible. They're not credible anymore because they witness a man be healed. So they go up to Peter and John and, 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 and they, they, they take them. They don't even tell them why. They take them into custody. They, they, they'll figure it out later, right? Just this needs to stop right now. And that's where we are in chapter four. Let's read. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and police and Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So let, let me stop there. The number is at 5,000. When the first, when the church started, it was at 120 after the resurrection of Jesus. They were at 120. There, there was another commotion that happened in, in the temple where, 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 where tongues of fire came down and the people started speaking in different languages. And, and, and then Peter once again started to preach and 3,000 were saved. And now we see in chapter 4, there's up to over 5,000 believers. Evangelism. But how did this, and this is, this is kind of my premise of what I'm saying, that we're all evangelists. How did this happen? Did this happen with, with, with Peter and John um, sitting down, making this strategic plan of how they were going to hit a community, you know, knocking on doors and VBSs and, and block parties and and. These are all great things that I'm saying. Don't, don't hear me criticizing these things. But that wasn't the plan. They were living everyday life. They were headed to the temple. They were headed to the temple. They were, hey, we, we prayed three o'clock. Let's go, John. All of a sudden, it grows from 3,000 to 5,000 people. The first time they, they, that, that, they, that Peter stood up and preached to the people, they were doing normal things. They were praying together. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem or, or uh, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. The last thing that God told them to do was to do what? Wait and pray. Evangelism is doing the last thing that God told you to do. What did he talk to you about this morning in your quiet time? Just do that. 
There's plenty of evangelism in our daily life. There's plenty of things that we are, 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 are confronted with on a daily basis where we have to make the choice. Am I going to proclaim who and what I am? Or am I going to shrink back and, 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 and make sure that my image isn't skewed or my popularity or my social media isn't, isn't skewed? Because i got to have followers, right? And if I start talking about Jesus, if I start talking about where my faith is, we have those moments where on normal, everyday life living. And that's what, that's what Peter is doing. And it says they were, because they were annoyed. The Sadducees were annoyed. They seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. Skip down to verse 5. It says, the next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. Actually, let's read verse 7 and then we'll go back. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. Oh, we'll stop there. So the reason I want to stop there, I want you to let's go back to the reality. This is, these are events that actually happen. This event, when I read this, the first thing I thought about, this was just like what they did to Jesus before they crucified him. And who was there? Peter. This is Peter they're doing this to. He sees Annas, Caiaphas. He sees the high priestly court, and they're questioning him. The exact same thing that they did to Jesus. So Peter's emotional state is where? I'm about to die. This is it. This is what they did to Jesus. They're about to do it to me. So in these moments, we, we, we see this happening. We, we see the intensity of this moment. This is not just regular questioning. Peter's witnessed somebody die after the questioning. And he knows that this is possibly him. Verse 7 again. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Here's one of those moments in just everyday living, you've done something. You've, you've, God has worked in and through you just in your normal everyday life. You have this moment. You have this moment where a, where a person who doesn't believe in Jesus asks you about Jesus. Man, I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. You have these moments. I would say pray and ask God to help you see these moments right here. When somebody basically asks you, in what name did you do this? Ask God. Ask God to, 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 to reveal to you or to uh, give you those moments. And you will be aware of those moments where somebody asks you this question. By what name did you do this? What authority? gave you to do this? And what power and what strength did you do this? Everyday living, everyday walking. Now he, he, he has this moment and he has to answer this question. This is evangelism, normal moments in our life. Peter didn't go knock on doors or prepare evangelistic crusades. But he just did the right thing in that moment. And that's why I say evangelism is, is just doing the next right thing or obedient thing that you've been called to. Verse 8. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, said to them, rulers and people and elders, 
if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom, you, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. Verse 8, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How, 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 how do I walk filled with the Holy Spirit as, as Peter? Because this is part of bold evangelism. This is part of, of, uh, of doing what, what God has called us to do in everyday living. We are filled as we surrender to the Spirit. We're filled as we submit ourselves to the authority of the Word, the authority of God. We can't be filled if we're not surrendered and submitted to Him. The Spirit fills those, fills you as you surrender to what he wants to do. So you don't go to him and say, this is what I want to do. God bless it. That's not feeling of the spirit. You're not asking the Holy Spirit to feel the things that you think are important. The feeling of the spirit happens when, when a person is surrendered wholly. God, I do not care what you need me to do, I'll do whatever the next thing is that you need me to do. That's when the Spirit fills you and leads you and guides you into all truth. Doesn't work any other way. He's the authority. You're not the authority. That's why you, when you, you're going to see when they start praying in the midst of person, you're going to see how they pray. They pray as if he's the authority rather than they are the authority. We're filled as we submit. He wasn't filled. Peter wasn't filled because he was super smart. He was filled because his quiet time, it, during his quiet time, or, or the first thing I was going to say is not because he had quiet time. That's not why he was filled. It was because during his quiet time, he was surrendered to God. And whatever he wanted to do. This is the testimony of many of you who came to Christ, right? You remember that? You said, take me. I can't do it anymore. You remember that? When you came to Christ? Yeah, that's how every, that's Christianity. That, that, that moment when you came to faith, that's your everyday life. It's your everyday life. I can't do it. I can't do it. Matthew 10, 19 is uh, maybe something that Peter thought about uh, or what Jesus said. He says, but when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say in that very hour. Isn't that an amazing promise? Oh, that's an amazing promise. And, I have to believe that in that moment, Peter remembered that promise from Jesus when he was hanging out with Jesus. Don't worry about what to say in that moment. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. I shared this with a friend uh, maybe a couple months ago that God was teaching me because I have, I have problems like, like memorizing something for uh, a long time. So I'll memorize it and it won't stay in my long term memory and I like and I struggle with it like like it hurts me and uh, because I hear other people hold on to Bible verses and stuff and it like and I get so discouraged and, and I uh, it was a couple months ago God like really shared with me like mm -mm, I've never used your memory to show Christ to people <laughs> I said oh Okay, so okay, so I start. I stopped fretting. I stopped 
putting so much weight in, like, I have to hold on to this verse or I'm not going to be able to share Christ. I stopped fretting about those things. And it's in my everyday walk with him that he uses me. He fills me. And he uses whatever I heard that day. Because I can usually remember what I remembered, what I learned that day. And I was like, oh, this is my walk with you. Is daily you teaching me what verse I need for that day. Not for three months from now. For that day. And in that moment, the one, that verse that you thought you forgot, I got it. I got it. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Where I'm like, I don't, I, I don't remember that verse and it just came when I'm sharing the gospel. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 9. I'm sorry. Let's read 8 and 9 real quick. Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means was he healed? Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom you, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone, the re, uh, the stone rejected by builders. Hmm, this hit them hard. Rejected by builders because they know, they know that Peter's talking about them. And the Old Testament is talking about them. Rejected by builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Guys, saying that just out loud to people, that is, that sounds really close-minded and arrogant. So I've said this before in sermons, I know I have, but, and, but I believe it so much that we have to, be, as Christians, be careful about being arrogant, arrogant outside of just this, this text. Like, the fact that we can be unkind and share a narrow-minded belief, like, don't, let's not have both. This so when people say, why are you so narrow-minded? It's like, I'm not really narrow-minded. It's, it's the scripture. It's narrow-minded. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This message causes controversy by itself. Don't be annoying also. Be kind. Be loving. Know that the name Jesus, they hate Jesus. It's not you that they're mad at. They're hate, they hate this message. They hate this message. What is bold evangelism? When the imminent threat of persecution is close, you continue your course to, be bold, to boldly proclaim who Jesus is and what he did. You stay the course to proclaim Christ, even though you, you will suffer for it. You just stay the course. That's bold evangelism. Bold evangelism, when your life and your, and your reputation or your comfort is threatened and you proclaim Christ, despite the possibility of losing it. Evangelism is, is you living for Jesus in the midst of a world that hates Jesus. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that <clears throat> they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, untrained. Just, they didn't go to their schools, basically, where they're saying. These Sadducees like, no, nah, I didn't see him in my class, you know, last year. They were uneducated. It didn't mean that they, these guys didn't go to school, but they didn't go to their schools, their seminaries, right? But what did he say? They had been with who? 
been with Jesus. Been with Jesus, meaning, meaning they, they're living life just like that man Jesus that we just kill. They're acting like him. They're, they're loving like them. They're caring for him. They're healing people like him. They're bold <laughs> like him. Remember, uh, there was a, there was a, I don't even know where it is, but there was an instance where, where they, they said, they were talking about Jesus, and they said, there's something different about this guy. He preaches as if he has authority. Like, he doesn't preach like the regular scribes and stuff that we hear at the synagogues, but he's preaching as one who has authority. What are they seeing? What are they seeing in, in Peter and John? They're seeing men who are bold about what they believe and willing to die for what they believe and willing to, to suffer for what they believe. Who are not going to back down. And they recognize that, yeah, they, oh, they've been with Jesus. Some of our lack of, 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 of strength and boldness in those moments is our lack of time with Jesus, right? A lack of time with Jesus can, can create this softness about us, this soft Christianity that says, you know what? Things are hard right now. I'm going to hold back. Sorry. Getting a phone call. I'm going to hold back during this time because man, I'm not, it's, it's not fresh to me. That the, the, the reality of his power and his love and his care and his provision is not fresh and it's not close. I haven't been around Jesus for a while. And so we kind of shrink back and we say, you know what? This is still Christianity. This is still Christianity. This, this looks good. Verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, okay, this is the Sadducees, uh, this is them thinking through things. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem that we cannot deny it. Guys, remember in the Gospels, they said, hey, show me a sign and we will believe. Right? There's a sign. How'd that help? How'd that go? Come off the cross and we'll believe. Here's a sign. No belief. There's a story even in, in, about the Lazarus and the rich man. And, 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 and uh, the rich man said, hey, let, let me go back. If somebody from the dead comes and, and, and show my brothers that, you know, hell is hot. Maybe if I, if I go back, they'll believe. God says, no, they had Moses. They had Moses. It's not the signs. It's not the miracles. So what does that mean we have to do? We have to ask the Spirit of God to touch the people. That they, their hearts would be receptive to the gospel truth. It's not because you, you, you build big churches or, or, or perform huge miracles that people will come to know Jesus. It's because we, we do the, next, the last thing that God told us to do. If he said go to Samaria or go to Jerusalem and wait, go and wait in Jerusalem. The last thing he told you to do. He told you to put your dream on the side and, 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 and work and, and pay your bills for your family. That is the thing you do to be a bold evangelist. If he told you to put this aside and do this, do it. We walk in obedience to him. The miracles, these great feats are not going to save people. It's us being filled and walking in obedience to him. Verse 17. But so that this does not spread any further, they said. So this doesn't spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in the name, in this name again. 
So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Have we gotten to the point where we're, we're unable to stop to speak what we've seen and heard? Is it that fresh? Are those moments where you saw a, 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 a spouse or a friend where their heart was changed because you, you were on your knees all week praying for that spouse or that neighbor or that unsaved person and you, you see the transformation and you know that you were beckoning God for God for their hearts. And you saw it. And then somebody challenges you and to ask you to, to, to renounce or to stop speaking this name. In those moments, you're going to say, I can't deny what I saw God do to my dad or my mom. I can't deny what I saw God do in my own life, who I was before. I can't deny what I heard this morning when I was reading the scriptures. I can't, I can't help but speak about it. I would be lying not only to God, to you, I'd be lying to myself. How can I not speak about this? Evangelism is waking up in the morning and surrendering your life to God. And submitting to his authority when somebody says, don't speak in this name again. And you say, I can't help it. I can't lie. Bold evangelism is simply being obedient to God rather than man. Verse 21, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all, were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old, meaning they saw him come daily at this gate for, I don't know, 40 years, however long they seen it. So they, they knew this was a miracle. This wasn't a bait and switch or anything like that. Verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything to the chief priests and the elders had said, had said to them. So, so think about it. They're going back to the people that probably is like wondering, hey, where are Peter and John? They went to the temple like yesterday at three. They have no idea where Peter and John has been. They're, they're congregating. They're praying. They're eating like normal. They're like, man, maybe Peter started talking because he talks a lot. But this, now they're, they're worried. Peter and John comes to them and basically says, you know, they're happy to see him, but he, but he has bad news. He has bad news that they, Annas and Caiaphas and all of them, they have threatened their lives if they continue to speak of the name of Jesus. So the, in this room where Peter is giving the report of why he wasn't home last night, everything changes from celebration. Hey, I'm glad y'all are here, Peter and John, to oh, this is not good. This is not good. Let's see how they respond. Verse, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The, the, the part of that prayer, master, usually out, and this is how I pray, I say, help. What they say? Master, sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, the one who, who, who made the sea and everything that's swimming in the sea. I'm talking to you, God. That's not for God to remind God who, have, who, he, who he is. That's to remind who? Themselves of who they're talking to. In the midst of this threat, 
They're praying and reminding themselves who God is and who they serve. Bold evangelism is simply being obedient and submissive to his authority. Master, that's what the first word. Yours may say sovereign Lord or, or sovereign God. Master, ruler. The one who rules and, and, and reigns over my life. I'm talking to you right now. You the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David and your servant, and these peoples plot futile things. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. That, that portion, it, it looks like Psalm 2, 4. If, if y'all have uh, read Psalm 2, it, it talks about how the, the kings and the rulers are, are coming against God's anointed people. Or against God, I'm sorry, against God. And verse 4 says that God, and I, can, I don't know, I love, one of my favorite verses, he laughs. Have y'all seen the videos? I'm, I'm bad. I, I watch uh, an Instagram video, uh, these videos where it's like a tiger and this little bitty dog is like, like barking, like, you know, screaming at it and jumping on the tiger. And the tiger's like, like, get out of the way. Like, it's so funny to me. And I think about how it's just, I mean, that tiger could just crush that little dog at any moment. And he's just, and the, and the tiger's like, this little dude don't know. Just one swat of my claw. And, and, it's, and I'm interested, like, why is this uh, tiger not, you know, just unleashing <laughs> himself on it? And, but he doesn't. He relents. But, but I think about it like, that's God. When, 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 when somebody threatens our life or threatens um, Christianity and say, you, you can't do this or, or, or whatever, we're going we're gonna to do this to you if you keep speaking in this name. And God's like... <laughs> What are you going to do? You can't thwart my plan. I'm God. And in those moments, they reminded themselves that he's God. He created the sea and the things that's swimming in the sea. He created them. He laughs. 27. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the one who ordered his crucifixion, they're saying. Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Basically, remember that Pontius Pilate was the catalyst, was the, the person that put in place God's uh, desire to, to, to save us. It was, it was our enemies. It was the enemy of God that God used to save me and you. Remember, your worst enemies are God's tool for his glory. That's, the devil is, is God's puppet. The enemy uses that was either a Luther quote, by the way. Sorry, that wasn't my quote. The God's puppet. God uses these, these things in our lives that are hard, these things that people come against us for his glory. Bold evangelism is normative of Christianity. It's living your life surrendered, doing his will no matter the threat. Verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servant may speak your word with all boldness. When my uh, father-in-law was uh, alive, I can remember one of his main um, requests for prayer when he come from Nigeria to here. He would come, he would stand in front of us and, and he would talk to us about what's going on in, in his ministry. But what his main request was that, because there's a lot of persecution, Christian persecution, um, where he is in Nigeria, 
And he would always put this in there. He said, pray that we would basically do the next right thing instead of, he didn't want the Christians to just go and kill them. He didn't want the retaliation to happen. And I just thought that was the craziest prayer. Like, that's, the, well, that's what he's concerned about in that moment. What are they concerned about in this moment? Not that they survive their threats, right? They're saying, hey, in the midst of their threats, make us bold. Evangelism is being submissive to the next thing that God wants you to do rather than what they want you to do, what man wants you to do, what social media wants you to do, what your image says that you should do. Hey, I got to hold on to, to, to this image. I got to hold on to this friend. God says, be submissive to me. And my father-in-law was saying, hey, just pray that we would do the right thing in response to them killing us. Pray that we would do the next right thing. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Boldly. They responded. Pray for God to do what you can't do alone. So that when it's done, your witnesses, you can be a witness that I didn't do it. The ground was shaken. Miracles were happening. While they were speaking boldly, they're asking God to do miracles around them. It's going to take us, if we're going to be bold evangelists, it's going to take us submitting to his authority on a daily basis, praying with expectancy that God will use us in miraculous ways in our everyday normative lives. That's where evangelism is going to happen. It's going to happen in the conversations in your home with your children, with your spouse. It's going to happen in those moments. It's going to happen in those phone conversations. It's going to happen at the grocery store conversations. It's going to happen in the normative, everyday lives, being submissive, but starting off every day expectant that God will use you to proclaim who he is. 